All right, well, today I'm going to continue to minister out of 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And I, I want to start in verse 38, talking about uh, King Saul giving David a new outfit to battle with. And it says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Saul was the king. David was a young shepherd boy. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And so in this story, we see that there's a great battle about to be fought. The, the people of God, the Israelites, were on one hill. There was a valley, and then there was the enemy Philistine army. And in that valley, there was a giant who's mocking them for 40 days, saying, hey, hey, come fight me. And whoever wins this battle, you send your best against me. I'm Goliath. I'm the best from the Philistines. Whoever wins this one-on-one -on -one fight will become the champion, and you will have to be my slave forever, or I'll be your slave forever. So this is happening in the valley. And we know valleys are a place where grass grows. It's a place where things blossom. But oftentimes, when you're in a valley, you find that it's a place of battle. It's a place of really confronting your fears. Even though the potential for a promise is great, even though the potential for growth is great, oftentimes in the valley where the grass is, you'll find that there's a giant trying to prevent you from going from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop. You know, we don't live a Christian life where it's just always, you know, highs and joys and joys. Yes, we're called to rejoice, but oftentimes there's days of battle, days of mourning, days of fighting, days of saying, giant, you're not going to take me out. And I don't know what your giant today is. It might be your finances, your relationships, your children, maybe your career, maybe an addiction, maybe health. But there are giants in your valley that are just mocking you and taunting you maybe for 40 days or maybe months, maybe it's been years. But I believe that here at Kalos Church, there's been a message proclaimed from the gospel that says, hey, with God, you can fight these battles and you can win. Amen. And I believe that faith has been rising in this place and I'm so proud of you. And so we're going to talk about how David went to fight this battle, but then the king said, hey, wear my armor. David walks around in this armor and he realizes it doesn't fit. And so the scriptures say he takes it off. And so the title of my message today is, One Size Does Not Fit All. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to hear your word. I pray that we would have the ears to hear and the eyes to see what you're doing. I pray that our hearts would be open to life change, Lord, that you would uh, just really call us in and we would receive your calling to do all that you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. I like the story and how the king, with good intentions, tries to equip David to fight the battle. But David realizes, hey, this does not fit me. This does not work, and one size does not fit all. Have you ever walked into a church environment or a work environment where people tried to put labels on you that just didn't fit? Where people had expectations on you that just didn't quite work, or you tried to mimic someone, like, and it just didn't fit quite right? You walked into a church, and you're like, oh, man, those people are all really pretty, or they wear these kind of clothes, or they use this kind of language. And then you try it out for yourself but it just it doesn't seem right you feel like you're not truly yourself but you're tempted to kind of fit in so you adjust your personality your language I remember when I first became Christian I, I didn't understand everything but I, I was like okay Christians talk a little differently so I guess here I am so in prayers and in conversations I'd be like oh man I'm so covered in the blood of lambs today oh yeah 
I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to fit in. It didn't, didn't quite feel right, but I would say, oh man, I'm just soaked. Soaked in lamb blood. This is amazing. You know, and I was like, ah, oh, this isn't right. And it's just like, sometimes you, the words don't fit or the, the perception isn't ideal because we are all unique and one size does not fit all. Growing up in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, as Pradeep and Jeevamanohar in Sivaratnam, as a Sri Lankan, uh, a South Asian in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, uh, I realized I was kind of unique and I did not fit in all the time. And uh, I would try to make friends with Americans and and to do that I would invite them over to my house and I'd be like parents you've got to make American food for all these Americans we're in Coon Rapids Minnesota they're whites we gotta we gotta make um macaroni it's just that's the only way you can make friends we gotta mom mom this Durrani do you know her in I need you to make some meatloaf okay She's like, meatloaf. <laughs> I was like, and so my parents would make this food to impress my friends, and uh, it was horrible. <laughs> it was just so bad. And they knew the real thing, right? Like, they had grown up with this food, and then they saw us trying to make it, and it, we didn't grow up with it, so we didn't know how it was supposed to taste. And I wasn't making a lot of friends. It wasn't, it wasn't working like I thought it would be. And then one day, my, my friend Ben, he's one of my best friends, and he came over. He was in middle school at the time and we didn't have time to prepare any special meal and he he saw my family cooking something and there's this pot on the stove and it was filled with this brown like stew and he was like what is that that's a lot different than the the meatloaf you were making the other week (laughs) and he's like I'm detecting some different kind of smells and aromas and I'm like Ben white sweet Ben that's something we call spice He's like, I've, what? What? I've never heard of such a thing. Yes. <laughs> and so he, he, we serve him some of this, this curry, Sri Lankan chicken curry. Come on, somebody, if you've ever had curry. I mean, it, there's about to be a revival in here. God, God's spirit's about to pour out if we talk about that too much. So uh, <laughs> he, he tries it out, and we did, diluted it all, so it was full spice, full potency. And he's eating it. He's like, this is amazing. I'm experiencing the best joy of my life and the worst pain in my mouth that I've ever experienced. He's like, this is ugly and beautiful at the same time. What is happening? And he would continue to come over to our house and demand this curry weekly over and over again. He would actually show up to my house when I wasn't even there. And uh, my dad and him would hang out. And my, my dad to this day calls him one of his sons. And they bonded over this curry. And when my family tried to impress the Coon Rapids Minnesotans with American food, tried to impress with their weakness, believe it or not, their weakness didn't really impress but when they leaned into how they were uniquely different people, their unique food, they embraced their originality, we really impressed Ben, and he became a lifelong consumer of my dad's chicken curry <laughs> to this day. And I, I just believe that we need to embrace as God's people that one size does not fit all, that we are different 
that we are unique, that we are originals, amen? And in this story with David and Saul, so David wants to fight this giant, and the king really, with good intentions, he wants to see this giant fall too. And he says, why don't you wear my armor? But it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And I think we can be tempted with the same kind of temptation where we say, hey, God, I would love to have a great life, but uh, I would love to be used in the ministry or service. I'd love to advance the kingdom of God. I, w- I would love to have a healthy family, but I need to be like this person in order for me to have success or make a difference or experience significance. If only I had money like this person, then I could do this. If only I had a family like this person, then I could be all that you've called me to be. If only my children were this way, or if only I didn't have this sickness, or if only I had this degree, or if only I had learned this lesson earlier, then I can, I can do all that you've called me to be, do, fight giants. Have you ever tried to convince God all the things you could do if only if you had something else? You're like, God, if only if I had more of this, more of that. And, and we find our just, ourselves just growing a little less grateful and feeling like a little more like victims, a little more like we can't accomplish something because we don't have what other people have. We find ourselves comparing ourselves to the other people and say, if I was only more like them. But I want to communicate today that one size doesn't fit all. And I, I want us to not be like the other people because we are originals. We're God's masterpieces. We are unique. And I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I'm scrolling through social media and I, I'm seeing how perfect people's lives are. Have you ever looked at that? And you're like, oh man, I'm just getting depressed. And we, we find ourselves comparing our behind the scenes life with everybody's social media highlight reel, right? And you're like, depressed, and you're like, oh, if only I had what they had. If only I had the king's armor. But I I really believe that you can overestimate what you don't have and underestimate what God has already put in your hands. And then there are some lessons that we can learn from David and how he approached this giant as he said, hey, you know, everybody is probably thinking these soldiers, you know, these soldiers, the people of God, had been mocked by this giant for 40 days. They had the equipment, and I'm, I wonder if they were thinking, man, if only I had the king's armor, then I would fight this giant. But then David has this opportunity with the king's armor, and he says, no, this does not fit me. It feels a little uncomfortable, and he decides to take it off. And I'm just so encouraged by this. And I believe that this will be an encouraging message for all of us today to embrace who we are in God. Amen. And so I want to talk about how to kill a giant as you are. And the first thing I want to contribute to you is this. We need to understand that one size doesn't fit all. Amen. And this is a little bit of what I've been talking about. But let me read this again. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. And so David knew something was wrong in this armor. And I want to encourage you all today that you were born originals, so please do not die a copy. 
You were born originals, so please do not die a copy. People with good intentions will try to shape you to walk in your weaknesses and not lead with your strengths. Some of you have felt unique and weird and different your whole life, and you've been ashamed and embarrassed of the things that have made you stand out. But I want to let you know, God sees you, and he made you on purpose for a purpose. God has a plan for you as you are. He doesn't just have a plan for you if you change or if you're different. God wants you as you are. He knows you. He's intimately involved with your creation. And so I want to encourage all of us. We were born originals, masterpieces, so let's not die as copies. Amen. You know, my my sister and I, my sister's name is Pradeepa. My name is Pradeepin. A lot of originality in my family. Uh, Dad, Dad, why'd you name me Pradeepin? Well, I just added an end to your sister's name. Thanks, all right. <laughs> we were both, uh, you know, born, and we had a lot of rhythm in our life. And except I expressed my rhythm in music, played drums and bass. Actually, this is my bass guitar. It hasn't been used for like 10 years. And uh, Ben Jennings did a great job using that. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so I, I grew up playing music because I had rhythm. And my sister is a horrible musician, but she had rhythm. But the way she expressed it was through dancing great dancing. And she would choreograph and dance, and she'd perform all over the world. And my only dance move is this right here. I mean, it's effective, but it's all I've got. Very effective. Uh, but we, like, I've tried to dance. Actually, in high school, I, I joined a Korean dance group. That was not good for me or them. It's really bad. <laughs> and uh, I tried, and I was like, my sister can do this. It's not working. And my sister tried music. It didn't work. But once we embraced the rhythm that we have and how we expressed it, we were able to really excel in either music or dance. And many of us, we have tried to express how God has created us to be in ways that others have done it because we thought that's just the way you do it in the church or that's just the way you do it in life. Like, this person jokes like this or this person wakes up like this. And I, I need to be like that, but you were born an original, so don't die a copy. God has created you as you are, and I want to say just embrace this. I mean, even Jesus had to experience this. I remember when Jesus was uh, first baptized, and then he was led into the desert to be tempted, and uh, the devil kept on saying, hey, if you are the son of God, you know, do this, do this, do that, turn this stone into bread, jump off of this, and you know, these are all like temptations that had to do with like Jesus was called to help the poor, you know, turn stones into bread, feeding many people. Jesus was called to rule the nations. Every tongue, tribe, nation will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow to Jesus. And the devil said, hey, if you bow to me, I'll give you all these nations. And Jesus knew that all these things were going to happen, that he was going to rule the world. But the devil tried to get Jesus to do it in his way. Does that make sense? And so there are sometimes good things we're called to do, but we try to do them in a wrong way because we see other people doing them. And we are afraid to embrace our originality. You know, I, I hate it when movies 
For example, they have something good going, but when the sequel comes around, they change the formula. You know, like, there is this Thai fighting movie that I really like with this actor named Tony Jaw. Any Muay Thai fans in the house? All right, all right, Dale, all right, Jordan. And uh, there's, there's these movies where Tony Jaw in Ong Bak, it's this Muay Thai uh, movie, he, he fights with his elbows and his knees, and every movie he had for a while was the same plot, and I loved it. Small time, small town, Thai villager gets something stolen by someone from the big city. Small town villager goes to big city and elbows people and knees people in the throat and face until he recovers it. And that was the whole formula for every movie. It was awesome. Angbak, a little statue gets stolen from his village. It's priceless. He, he goes into a new city, doesn't have any conversations with anybody, just elbows them in the head until he gets back his statue. The protector, or in Thai called Tam Yong Gum, he has an elephant stolen from him. <laughs> he goes to the big city and he breaks everybody's arms. Doesn't have one conversation, just arm breaking. And he rescues his elephant, glory to God. Can we give rescued elephants a round of applause? And so, uh, I, just, I just love those movies. But as he, as he became a bigger star, he started to change the formula of his movies. And he saw like Gladiator and like Braveheart, I'm assuming, and all these kind of epic movies, right? That have like emotion <laughs> and plot and dialogue and conversations. And he's like, I want, I want to have an epic movie. And in Ang Bak 3, he like, it's like a prequel and it's like a totally different scene. And there's all these like emotions and conversations and there's like romance now all of a sudden. I'm like, ah, oh, why did you ruin the formula? And it was a really bad movie. The first two were so good because he, he stuck with what was good for him. But then he tried to be something he wasn't and we all suffered for it. Amen, Jordan? <laughs> Amen. You were born an original. Please don't die a copy, because how God has made you is so special. And so then David, in verse 39, it says, So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine, the giant named Goliath. And so what David did is, I'm going to explain this a little bit, but my second point is what David did was he embraced the shake. That's not going to make sense to you right now, but it will in a little bit. So David took off the armor he was uncomfortable with, and he picked up the tools that he had used to kill a bear, and a lion, and now he was going to kill the giant with that thing. He used what was already in his hand to take down the giant. He embraced the shake. And so I want to encourage all of us, this quote by Arthur Ashe, to do this. To start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. To start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. Because if you try to be someone else, best case scenario, you're always going to be second place. But when it comes to our giants, the struggles, the way we're fighting for our marriages to be, the way we're fighting for our families to be, the way we're fighting for our finances or our callings or our dreams or our destinies, we have to start with what we have, whether it's starting with cheese, like we talked about two weeks ago, unglamorous acts of service, or it's starting with the gifts, the things that made you different that you were embarrassed 
stuff, but now you use them for God's glory as an advantage. Growing up in Coon Rapids as Pradeep and Jeeva Manohar and Steve Retinam was not an advantage. I went by the name Ben until I was 13 years old. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I tried to fit in, and I never was good enough at fitting in because it didn't feel right. But then by the time I was in high school, I became a Christian. I felt God was calling me to step into who I am, embrace my difference, my uniqueness. And so then I did, and I started to become like more friendly and gain more friends because I was like, hey, this is who I am. I'm, I'm going to stop trying to pretend to you, and I'm just going to be who I am. I'm going to pick up. And so I actually started to go by the name Pradeep and Jeevan Noharan instead of just Ben. And uh, that actually made a difference. I was actually able to make more friends and uh, make a a, a bold step into who God was calling me to be. And I, I've been inspired by this video about this, this artist who, who felt called to, to make these paintings using, um, I think it's called like a pixelated design. He'll explain it better. But as he would like make dots to make these extravagant paintings, up close they would just look like little points and dots, but when you stepped away, you'd see it's an amazing work of art. He, he had went to school for this, this was what he was doing, but he, he developed a tremor in his hand where his hand would just shake, and he couldn't make these little dots, but he learned to embrace the shake. Now I want to embrace, ex, encourage all of us to embrace the shake, embrace who we are with our limit, limitations and our strengths. So let's play this video. Artist Phil Hansen's inspirational story can teach all of us how to embrace our limitations. Initially, back in art college, I developed a tremor in my hand from doing too much pointillism, basically fine detailed art. That led to me, after I developed a tremor in my hand, to dropping out of art school because I couldn't pursue the art that I dreamed of. And then years later, finding myself in the doctor's office and being diagnosed with permanent nerve damage. And that felt like a real low, but then at the same time, he told me to embrace the shape. By embracing the shape, Hansen's artwork started to take on new meaning. I ended up deciding that I was going to take him literally and embrace the shape. So I made a picture using scribbles, and that was kind of my you know, very direct interpretation of embracing the shape. And then from there, I began this exploration of creativity and working within limitations. Today, he's teaching audience members at the PCMA Education Conference how to do just that. He was one of the diverse lineup of presenters who hoped to inspire event professionals no matter the industry or profession they served. After sharing my story, I had everyone in the audience do little drawings, and I gave them a little kit with eight pieces of paper, and I led them through different exercises. This allowed audience members to reflect on their own personal experiences by using meaningful images to tell their own stories. The images were then used to create a piece of art that was revealed the next day. worked with everybody yesterday to create all the little drawings and assemble those over the course of two people working, but probably about 14, 15 hours worth of work to put it all together. Hansen says this piece of art is a reflection of how everything in our life comes together. He calls it a tapestry of life. All those little challenges that we face, if we just keep working through them, all those bits and pieces come together to create that larger whole. I love this. Uniquely different. Embracing the shake. Learning how not just to think outside of the box, but to think inside of the box. Embracing our limitations. Saying, God, you created something from nothing and you can do it in my life. I will use my weakness to glorify you. 
whether it's a struggle, whether it's a difficulty, you're saying, I'm going to use what I have to glorify the Lord. And I've been thinking through this phrase for a while, but it's this. When it comes to maybe things in our life that are as we don't want them to be, when we wish we were a little different, I I just say to myself, I've been saying this for about a month to myself, it's this. uh, I I did not choose this, but I'm going to use this to glorify you, God. I didn't choose this, but I'm going to use this to glorify you, God. It's just such a powerful phrase, and I I feel like David did that. He said, you know what? I'm going to use what I have to take down the giant. And many of us, we feel like I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have what it takes. But I want to encourage all of us. Can we say, hey, I may not have chosen this. I didn't choose this, but I'm going to use this to glorify God. That, you know what? I am enough in Christ. That we would say, hey, I don't need to be like this person. I don't need to compare myself. I don't need to copy this person. But you know what? I am enough in Christ, and I'm going to use what God has placed in my hands to defeat the giants in my life, to defeat the giants in my family, to defeat the giants in my community, to step into my destiny, to make known the beauty of Jesus and advance the kingdom of God. Amen. And I I love this because David, in verse 41. It says, meanwhile, the Philistine with this shield bearer in front of them kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that. He, so, so this giant's about to make fun of the David shepherd boy. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Been there. Stop despising my handsomeness. Okay, so he said to David, I'm joking. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks, mocking his weapons again? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. The giant tries to get David to fight him on his terms. But then David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This passion, this confidence was not David feeling confident in his weapon. It was David feeling confident in his Lord the God. Because David realized that this battle's victory would not be won because of the power of his weapon, but by the power of his God. And for us, we can say the same thing. You know what? I might be weak. I might not feel like I have what it takes, but you know what? I have God in my life. I have the power of Christ with me. I have Jesus to fight my battles with me. And with Christ, I am enough. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, let the scripture encourage you. The scriptures say, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. God uses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Amen. And many of us, we feel foolish. We feel different. We feel like we're not enough. And I want to let you know that makes you the perfect candidate to be used by God to take down giants. Amen. David, oh man, the king dismissed David's weapons. The giant mocked David's weapons. David's weapons, but God used David's weapons to defeat a giant and deliver a nation from slavery. What is, gonna God, what is God going to do with what is already in your hands? 
Will you stop fighting who you are and embrace how God has called you to be uniquely different? What has God put you in your your hands? What are the things that you've despised about yourself, but God's saying, hey, no, I made you that way. I love you as you are. Would you use that? Even though you didn't choose that, would you use that? And David did, because God uses the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. You know, I'm tempted with this, and even this last week as I, I close, you know, I, I was uh, on Facebook, and I saw this story about a, a pastor who recently, from California, at a, a church called Inland Hills, this pastor, big church, like three services, smiling on the camera on a lot of his videos, had three boys around the age of six, had a great marriage, leading this church, and this pastor, who you'd think would be super strong and full of courage at all times, just perfect, like a lot of people expect pastors to be, he actually recently committed suicide. And it's shaken the pastoral community because I I think a lot of us uh, relate to the pressures of being a pastor. You know, so many people expect us, you know, to have the the mind of a theologian, you know, the, the speaking ability of a great communicator, you know, be vulnerable, to, but also be strong and bold, to have the, the mind of a business person, the marketing strategy to grow a church, to have a great family, great marriage, raise their kids perfectly, to be available to everyone, to have deep relationships with like 200 people, 300 people plus, to make everybody feel like their best friend. And uh, I, th- this pastor committed suicide and they released this note. And uh, I just want to read this. It says, Pastor Andrew of Inland Hills Church took his own life this weekend. My heart is broken for his wife and three children, as well as for his church family and community. Depression is real, and pastors are not exempt or defective who experience it. Below is a noteworthy article I believe that many pastors would share, but it might seem weak or self-serving. And uh, it goes on, it says this, "In, in this generation, pastors are expected to be business savvy, Instagram quotable preaching celebrities, fully accessible, deeply spiritual, not too young, not too old, and if a pastor doesn't quite measure up to someone's expectation at any given moment, they're given a two out of five star rating on Google. Wow, we've reduced the ministry to star ratings on Google. And I I just want to let you know, even as I preach this, I feel the temptation often to be something that I'm not, to be something that I could never be. And that, that's why I thank God, though, that we are a body, that there are hands that do the work of hands, there are eyes that do the work of eyes. And, like, we just need to stop comparing ourselves to others and, and be who God has called us to be, amen? And uh, I, I hate that pastors like this or businessmen or family members, they just feel like, God, I, I'm worthless, I'm useless because I'm, like, I'm not someone else. But it's your difference, that's one of the reasons you are so valuable. So can we embrace it in the name of Jesus? Can we embrace it? Let's pray. Dear Father, I just, I thank you so much for how weird the people of Kalos are. So weird, Lord. Unbelievably weird. But Lord, honestly, I really am. They are a peculiar people. They're special. 
Lord, you've made them all with different gifts and talents and experiences. And Lord, we are unified while celebrating diversity. Lord, we realize that unity does not require uniformity. And so, Lord, I pray that you teach us to embrace the unique differences you've given us, whether it's a slingshot, a staff, a certain job, a certain family life, a certain history, certain trauma, scars. Lord, we would take all of that and say, hey, I didn't choose this, but I will use this to glorify you, Lord. You know, before I get off the stage, I want to just give an opportunity. I realize that there are people here for the first time, and maybe this is your first time in a church, or maybe it's been a while. And I want to encourage you, if if you have not surrendered your full life to Jesus, I want to give you a moment to do that, and I encourage you to do that. I've been praying all week that many people would make a decision to say, Jesus, I'm sick of living my life on my own terms. I want to surrender to you. I want to experience a fresh start. I want forgiveness of my sins. I want to walk with you. And so I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And if you're, you're saying, Pastor Pradeep, and that's me, I want, to, I want a fresh start. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to just ask you to raise your hands in a moment, and I want to pray for you. All right? We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. But I just want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. It's the best decision I've ever made. And I pray that you'd make that today. So let's bow our heads again and close our eyes. But if you're saying, Pastor Pradeepin, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. On the count of three, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Awesome. See hand? Just raise it so I can see it, and then you can put it down. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Hey, I want us all to pray this prayer, so open your eyes, and there's going to be a prayer on the screen, and for those of you who raise your hands, I'm, I'm just so excited. Following Jesus is the best, amen? I mean, it's the best decision ever, and we're going to pray this prayer together, and we want to walk through this journey with you, and so after we pray this, um, I encourage you, there's some connection cards on your chairs. Please fill that out and, and check the box that says, hey, I want to follow Jesus, because we, we don't want to leave you alone. We want to walk through this journey with you, but let's pray this together all at the same time. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Life transformation. So amazing. So amazing.